Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. All right, guys, welcome back for another episode. Yeah, I know the three episodes a week still hasn't happened yet, but I'm still striving for it. That's what I'm striving for. I know. I didn't do one yesterday. My hope was to do one yesterday and then maybe one tomorrow or just something like that. Just try to get in three weeks. I'm still trying to strive for that. Just didn't get it this week. I'm just going to keep keep trying, but it just didn't happen. But in today's episode, I'm going to be recapping Thursday Night Football. What a game between the Eagles and the Packers. It felt like it was one of those actually meaningful game, you know, one of those good games against two good teams. Like, yeah, you know, you got a good game from the Titans and Jaguars, but like two really good teams. So that was nice to see, and I'm going to uh, break that game down for you. And then I'm going to get to my top NBA Top 100 player list, uh, eight numbers 100 through 81. Yes, I made that. Uh, we'll get into the details on you know what I'm going to do for that. Uh, also, stay tuned. My NHL predictions, I've got them already. Uh, the MLB, I think, wraps up, what, tomorrow, I want to say? I think it's tomorrow. So those are going to be coming soon, like within the next episode or two. So stay tuned for those. But today, Thursday Night Football, numbers 100 through 81 on my NBA Top 100 Players list. So first, we are going to start with a recap of last night's Thursday Night Football game. So let's get to that. Okay, again, last night's Thursday Night Football game was exciting because for me, I don't have NFL Network. I used to. I don't anymore, which is super disappointing. I don't have Red Zone or any of that. So for the past two weeks, I have not been able to watch Thursday Night Football. Week two, Buccaneers-Panthers, I stuck to the highlights. Week three, Jaguars-Titans, had to stick to the highlights. But this was like week one in Packers-Bears. I was able to watch this game because it was a game between two good teams. You know, now Thursday Night Football, every game's been a solid game so far, like a good, close, competitive game. But weeks two and three weren't shown for a reason. Two mediocre to bad teams. Like there were no, it wasn't like this is what I'm talking about. Packers, Eagles, Fox. I know Joe Buck. We all have our in a, an opinion on him, but it was it was good. Like I was just excited. I was just like, okay, I can actually really watch one of these games. And it, it I feel like a meaning. It felt like Sunday night football. It felt like a really good Sunday night football game. And I got that vibe of a good game right away. I really enjoyed that game last night. And there's a lot I want to talk about. There's a lot of good, ugly, and I, I guess I'll start with the first quarter. Packers kind of got off to that hot start there. Aaron Jones pounced in for a touchdown, who was horrible last night. I mean, Aaron Jones was no good last night, but it, running the ball, but he did have the touchdown. Overall, I think he's been overrated. People think, you know, people kind of went into the year thinking, all right, you know, he's going to have that breakout season. We saw some potential from him last year. No. Jamal Williams got hurt. He had to come out uh, uh, in the first quarter off a stretcher. So there's, you know, that run game, they're unsure back there. Jamal Williams, out. Aaron Jones, I don't know. I think people are starting to kind of realize this guy isn't what some of us thought he'd be. I thought he'd be at least a little better than this. I did think he was being a bit overrated, though. But Aaron Rodgers overall had a solid day yesterday. Now, Maybe a little better than solid. I mean, you look at his stat line, 34 for 53, 422 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He had a pretty good game yesterday. I'd say solid is a bit of an understatement. He had to throw the ball 53 times. He sliced up the Eagles' defense. The Eagles have an issue. The Eagles have an amazing front seven, but the front seven didn't solve their problems. They're going to have to go up against teams like the Packers and quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs and in these meaningful games, they need to do something. The secondary has to be better because the front seven wasn't able to carry them last night. You know, we've seen like the Eagles and Seahawks kind of adapt this uh, defense that's built off pressuring the quarterback and these dominant front sevens or even front eights that are just meant off. Let's pressure the quarterback, hope that forces them to make mistakes, and hope that covers up the holes for our secondary. The Eagles tried that last night against Aaron Rodgers, and it didn't work. And I am mad, even though the Eagles won, they got that game-winning interception, I would be a little disappointed that they didn't change the game plan mid-game. 
I mean, come on. Aaron Rodgers was slicing up that defense. 34 for 53, 422 yards, two touchdowns. He was like, you knew the run game wasn't going to be, it wasn't effective. Right? Like Aaron, you know, Jamal Adams, uh, Williams, not Jamal Adams, Jets. Jamal Williams, he's out. Aaron Jones simply couldn't run. So you were stopping the run game, but they weren't running the ball much. They had one handoff to Danny Vital for three yards, one end around to Geronimo Allison for seven yards, and 13 carries for Aaron Jones. And they actually swallowed him up to only 21 rushing yards. And Aaron Jones scrambled five times because he saw the pressure coming, and he, he sliced up the D. Not even that. You know, sometimes he'd scramble out of the pocket. Aaron Rodgers did a good job of knowing when it was time to scramble last night. That nasty move on Fletcher Cox. Oh, oh, he made he he did more than just juke Fletcher Cox. Aaron Rodgers was great last night. I'd say solid was an understatement at the beginning. It was. They heavily relied on Aaron Rodgers in their passing attack. They still lost, though. I mean, Devontae Adams had a great game. 10 catches, 180 yards. Jimmy Graham had a solid day. Six catches, 61 yards, a touchdown. He kind of let them down on those, you know, final drives with those tough one-handed catches. Anyway, Geronimo Allison, three catches, 52 yards, a touchdown. Really, his day, he really had two of his catches. He basically had his whole day at the end of that second half. He makes an incredible catch while he's getting hit by two defenders. You know, it's, it's kind of behind him. Over him, he's got to jump up, kind of twist, and he gets hit at the same time, hangs on, and he scores a touchdown. He so deserved that. It was a great drive for Geronimo Allison. Marquez Valdez Scantling, a Scatling. I don't know. There's an N, but I always hear Scatling. I say Scantling. Three catches for 47 yards. Aaron Jones, six catches for 37 yards. They were clearly targeting him out of the backfield. He didn't do a whole lot, but they, they were trying to dump it off to him a lot. Mercedes Lewis had that. Mercedes... Lewis had that hurdle, two catches for 19 yards for him. Overall, though, it, it just – they sliced up that Eagles secondary. I mean, when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers like that who – I mean, not even that. I think the protection was okay from the uh, Packers. The Packers don't have a great offensive line. It's okay. They have the best left tackle in the game, and David Bacchiardi. Bacchiardi. I keep messing up everyone's name today. But overall, their offensive line's eh. But considering how much pressure the Eagles were putting on them and how good that front seven is, they did a pretty good job. But Aaron Rodgers really where he made magic happen. If the pressure came and he saw the pocket, you know, if he saw like a little opening in the pocket and there was no one really in the middle of the field, you know, he could just scramble for a few yards and he seen the play blew up, he'd just go for it. He could elude pressure, you know, go out of the pocket, the pocket collapsed. He could just find those holes. And with the pressure came mismatches, kind of. I, I, I don't know how to put this. I'd say mismatch is the right word because when you put pressure on the quarterback, you know, blitz seven, blitz eight guys, you only got five or four guys in the secondary, which means it's usually just basically one-on-one the whole way. One-on-one, maybe one guy's double-teamed, or maybe there's one safety playing some uh, zone to help aid uh, deep balls. I don't know. that To me, they just blitzed too much. Aaron Rodgers was able to handle the blitz, elude the pressure. They had one sack from Derek Barnett. He was able to elude the pressure, and he was able to exploit the secondary. Because if Aaron Rodgers is eluding the pressure, so let's say they blitz eight, and he's able to elude the pressure, now all of a sudden he just says, all right, it's my four wide receivers slash tight ends against your four uh, cornerbacks slash safeties, maybe even a linebacker in there. It's a 4v4 versus 5v5. Or 5v5. I'll, take the, I'll take Aaron Rodgers and his receivers over that Eagle secondary any day of the week, twice on Sundays, twice on Thursdays, and twice on Mondays. It, it's that simple. Aaron Rodgers and that receiving core, which is solid, against that horrible Eagle secondary, please. So that, that's where you have to switch up the game plan if you're the Eagles. You have to realize Aaron Rodgers is eluding the pressure. And once he eludes the pressure, it's your secondary versus him and his receivers. That is a mismatch. And he was able to exploit that all day long. And people are talking about the Eagles getting Jalen Ramsey. I wouldn't bother if I'm the Eagles. Jalen Ramsey is a man-orientated cornerback. The Eagles are a zone-orientated defense. As simple as that. And it's not a good fit. Jalen Ramsey is no zone corner. 
Okay, I think with practice, he could get a little better. He's a man-to-man corner, though. I'm not saying it'd be a horrible fit, but not only that, how are you going to pay him? The Eagles in cap space in the same, you know, the Eagles and the in a lot of cap space in the same sentence just doesn't go together. They've got guys they still got to pay, and they've got guys on the books for big money. I don't know. I just don't know how you're supposed to pay him, too. Is this just like, are you trading two first-round picks? To get Jalen Ramsey for a year and a half. I mean, unless you want to do that. And again, he's not a good fit with your uh, your system. But my problem with the Packers as well, what are you doing at the goal line? It's like first and goal. It, it was about nine, eight, seven minutes. It was right between nine to seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. They've got the ball at at least the two, two to three yard line. They passed the ball four times. What? Why do teams do this? Why do teams try to get fancy? You know, they, they march down the field and they try to get fancy and finesse. If you're at the two-yard line, you have four chances, even just three. You run the ball at least once. I don't care if your running back is Aaron Jones and he has had 13 carries for 21 yards. I don't care. You try to punch it in because he punched it in already once. And that just shows – and that, that hurts the confidence of some running backs. Some running backs, it motivates them. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, for a lot of them, that gets them angry and they lose some confidence. And not even all that. Why wouldn't you run the ball? You're at the two-yard line. I don't mind if, you know, you maybe you go uh, shotgun. No, not even shotgun. No, not shotgun. What am I talking about? What, Aiden, what, what are you talking about? Not even that. But, you know, maybe if you run a set where Aaron Rodgers, you've got Aaron Jones to, to the left of him. Maybe do a little play action on first down. I'm fine with that. But it... Run the ball, at least on the first or second down. Give it a try. Try to get a punch in. If it doesn't work, fine. We saw this last week with Baker Mayfield passing the ball four times at the end of the game. Russell Wilson. I mean, the Super Bowl, these teams try to get too fancy. And I get it. The Packers don't have Marshawn Lynch. And the Seahawks was worse. They were in the Super Bowl. They were right there. They had Marshawn Lynch. The Packers, they're not in the Super Bowl. You got Aaron Jones, but still, I don't care who your running back is. I, I do, in a sense, if it's me, pass the ball. Pa- pass the ball. If it's me back there, pass the ball. But you got what I'm saying. If it's an you know, it's Aaron Jones, I mean he struggled. Yes, he's eh. He's not amazing, but yeah, give him one shot to punch it in at least four tries. And they missed them all. Next drive. Next drive. You think you think you know you'd already be smart enough. To pass the run the ball at least one of those downs. Okay, that's already got you mad enough. You march down there, 30 seconds left, they pass the ball on first down. You're just like, okay, we gotta run it here, right? Like, we're 0 for 5 at the goal line. Why are we passing it this much without running it? They pass it again through the interception. I wanna shout out Sidney Jones on that play. Sidney Jones reminds me of Malcolm Butler. He was a backup cornerback that came off the bench basically the first time in the game and made a big-time play. That was not Nigel Bradham. That was just Bradham in the right place at the right time. He dropped an interception before that. He missed a tackle on Aaron Rodgers. He let Aaron Rodgers get away from him. Nigel Bradham was just in the right place at the right time. That was all Sidney Jones. It was a play. It was basically a pick route. It was exactly the Seahawks. What the Seahawks tried to do was run a pick route. The, you got two, you know, you're at the goal line. It was second down for both of them, too. Second and goal, you're at the two-yard line. Aaron Rodgers says, Hut looks that way, you know, just like Russell Wilson looks to the right side. It's a pick route. Basically, what happened was Valdez Scant- Scantling wasn't the one. I'm pretty sure it was Geronimo. I want to say it was, Ger- I forget who it was. I want to say it was Geronimo Allison or it was Robert Tonyan. But I don't think it was. He, he looked a little too skinny to be Tanya. Not saying Tanya's fat. He's just a tight end, right? So I think it was Geronimo Allison. But Allison was supposed to set the pick for Scantling. Geronimo Allison. So basically, there was Sidney Jones. Um, I don't. Uh, who was the other guy? I want to say. We'll just say it's. Malcolm Jenkins, I'll think I I don't know who's there, but I know Sidney Jones. Sidney Jones was on Scantling, and Allison was guarded by whoever. And he Allison's supposed to run the pick route for Scantling. He says, Hut, I watched the tape, I did it in slow-mo. I saw okay. At first, this play looks good. Bradham was kind of playing a little bit of support, but if Aaron Rodgers throws it at the right time and makes a good throw, 
that's a touchdown. But here's what happened. Ghosts are on this pick route. It's going to work. Allison avoids Sidney Jones. Obviously, he can't go up and set a real basketball screen and knock Sidney Jones out. But he, yeah, it was Malcolm Jenkins, now that I think about it. But he, like, avoids, he cuts up the seam to, like, avoid the hit, or at least avoiding to kind of, you know, get in his way a little bit. And then it's an easy play for Sidney Jones. Malcolm Jenkins reads Aaron uh, Rodgers' eyes. Sidney Jones makes a great play on the ball, tipped. Nigel Bradham's arms. It's a great play by Sidney Jones. Now I go over to the Eagles uh, side of things. With the Packers, you've got to be smarter. They've got to establish a run game, first of all, because Aaron Rodgers was great last night. And the pass game was awesome. They need to establish a run game. They need to run the ball. The Eagles' defense was not good, but they had good red zone defense. And their defense in the red zone was good. Their defense was horrible all night, but when it came to those big plays in the red zone, they showed up. I'll give them credit for that. Carson Wentz, 16 for 27, 160 yards, three touchdowns. Carson Wentz didn't wow me last night, but for the throws he got, he was pretty good. He didn't wow me because he only got to throw the ball 27 times. If he got to throw the ball a little more, I think uh, we would have started. I mean, he didn't wow me. It's hard, You know, Aaron Rodgers was the better quarterback last night. But, again, he got way more passing attempts. I think Carson Carson once still had a good game. Don't get me wrong. I mean, three touchdowns, 16 for 27, 160 yards. It's good. They ran the ball the most to Jordan Howard, which I was so happy with. I love Jordan Howard. Okay, I do. I'm, I'm, I, I hate to say it. I, I love Jordan Howard. I think the guy's a beast. I do. I, I would, I'm not going to go that far. But I thought in Chicago, this guy's just a consistent, steady runner. Uh, he can just give you – he can give you a little bit of the uh, – Passing you know, out of the backfield, passing-wise, I mean, he really only scored on that wheel route. He really only had a big play on that wheel route that he scored a touchdown. But like, Jordan Howard, he can just give you consistent running, and I want to see him get the ball more. Like, come on, less Darren Sproles, a little less Miles Sanders. Let's give the ball more to Jordan Howard. Let's mix it up, and they did. I was so happy. 15 carries for 87 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he had three receptions for 28 yards as well. Overall, two touchdowns on the day, I'm pretty sure for – yeah, if I – Yes. Yep. He had the one. He punched the one in on the goal line, and then he had the, I believe it was like an 18-yard wheel route, and he caught the touchdown there. So, obviously, it was a great day for Jordan Howard. And then Miles Sanders had a solid day on his 11 carries. I feel like he gave you a lot of production, 72 yards. That's six and a half yards per carry. Miles Sanders had a pretty good day, but you limited his touches in a way. I wouldn't say limited, but they ran the ball well. Much better than the Packers. And they really established that run game. And I feel like that gave Carson Wentz a little more freedom because it keeps the defense honest. The thing with Aaron Jones that made his, his performance even just a little bit better was the defense was just expecting pass. They kept passing it whenever they'd run the ball. It just didn't work. So the thing with Aaron Rodgers was it was just hard because they just kept expecting pass. And even though the secondary was bad and he still had a good game, they just kept expecting pass. They weren't vulnerable. The Packers' defense was vulnerable because Carson Wentz was throwing the ball well, but they were also running it. When you get both sides, you know, both the running pass game going, it keeps those defenses honest. And that can, uh, you know, create big plays. If all of a sudden they're expecting run and they bring, you know, an eight-man rush and all of a sudden, you know, protection's good or maybe you can elude the pressure a little bit and step up and, you know, miss a, you know, you know, avoid a sack for a second, you know, you're out, your receiver puts a good double move, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, there's no support down the field, big play. It keeps the defense honest, and that didn't happen with the Eagles, but you know what I'm saying. Zach Ertz, seven catches for 65 yards. Uh, he got, he was definitely uh, the most productive wide receiver. He didn't have a touchdown. Jordan Howard, Dallas Godert. And Alshon Jeffrey had touchdowns. He didn't, but he's their most productive uh, receiver. Carson Wentz kept finding him, kept coming to him. Alshon Jeffrey, three catchers for 38 yards and a touchdown. He didn't have a huge day, but he, he caught the touchdown. He almost had the two-point conversion, I do believe that was. Yeah, that was a two-point conversion. The Eagles went for two. It was 27-20. to 20. If you keep, kick the PAT there, you make it an eight-point game. Instead, they just said, why not try to make it nine and make it a two-score game? Because if we make it eight, yes, it's hard to go down and get a touchdown and then get the two-point conversion too, but it's still a one-score game. This is the Packers' offense. They can get tricky. 
You know, they've, they've got some weapons there. So I think the Eagles just tried to tried to do something like that and said, you know what, let's just go for two here. I wouldn't say it's a horrible decision, but they missed it. Uh, Jordan Howard, obviously I already talked about him, three catches for 28 yards and the receiving touchdown. The Dallas Godard, two catches for 16 yards and a touchdown. He needs to stay a little healthier, but him and Zach Ertz are probably the best tight end duo in the league. Zach Ertz, in my opinion, second best tight end in the league behind only Travis Kelsey. People say Kittle. I think a little less people are saying Kittle because Ertz has just been productive. Kittle's been it. He's been a little worse than people thought. And I, I told you, Kittle one day will obviously pass Ertz. Ertz is starting to get up there in age. Kittle's the next up-and-coming tight end. It's that simple. But that being said, right now, Zach Ertz is a better tight end, and I've been saying that. Everyone says Kittle, 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 no, it's Ertz. And I've said that before the season. A lot of people went with Kittle. Just saying, now those of you who are kind of backing up Onto the earth side train. I just love Zach Ertz. And I think Kittle was a little being a little overrated. Still a great tight end, though. But Dallas Godert, too. I mean, that's a guy they, they really you gotta really like a guy like Godert because he's 24 years old, 6'5, 256 pounds. But I'm not even talking about us. I mean, he's only got four catches on the year for 32 yards and a touchdown, but you have to keep in mind he scored four touchdowns last season on, I believe, 33 catches and over 300, close to 350 yards. Solid rookie season. They clearly like him because they picked him in the second round of the draft or giving him this many snaps with Zach Ertz. There's no need for Dallas Goder. They just want the next guy. They want those two tight end sets. And it really gives them kind of that, I guess you could say, flexibility in a way. Having two tight ends, it's just hard because tight ends are just not – they're, they're rare, I guess you could say. Like, yeah, you find these average tenants. It's fine, hard to find the elite ones. I'm not saying Dallas Godert's elite. I'm just saying with a guy like Zach Ertz, you got to really like Godert to have Zach Ertz, a top three tight end in the league at least, to go out and pick a tight end in the second round and give him the snaps that they're giving him with Zach Ertz. So they really like him. Nelson Aguilar with no catches. I think he dropped one last night. Like, they... He didn't have a bad week last week, but he's just dropping the big catches. You saw the guy in the news. That was hilarious. The, the, you know, the guy's literally in the middle of a fire catching babies. Literally, they're throwing babies down to him. He's catching them through his mind. It was like late Sunday night going into Monday morning. He was thinking about the Eagles game and how they lost. Yes, he was. And he's catching the babies, and he said, yeah, I was catching them, unlike Aguilar. Just want to throw that out there. He was literally thinking about the Eagles game. Well, that was going on. That's just crazy. But the Eagles defense needs to be better. I, I think the Eagles defense will be better in the future because it's you're not always going to face Aaron Rodgers. You know, there's going to be games where they go up against a quarterback, like maybe Case Keenum, right? Or, you know, whoever. You know, Aaron Rodgers is special. But where you can kind of pressure him and he can't avoid the pressure like Rodgers does and can't make magical plays like Rodgers does. So that's the thing. Once Rodgers eludes the pressure against your secondary, you're toast. They should have switched up the game plan. It's that simple. I would have. I don't know about that. I'm not saying I'm, you know, smarter than these coaches, but I'm just saying that would be my suggestion. Try to switch up the game plan. I know, you know, a lot of coaches don't like to do, well, this is the game plan we had going into the week. You've always got to have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, and if you have to switch it up, you have to. It clearly wasn't working. Even if you say, we got to stick to the game plan. No, that's not how it works. Never go in with that mindset. Plan A, plan A, plan A. Even if you think 99% chance it's going to work, there's that, always that 1%. And the Eagles have to have that plan B. They've got to prepare. And they've got to they, – I know you were coming off a short week here. We only had a few days to game plan. But – and it, I think that was the problem with the Eagles last night. You just played a game Sunday, which gave you three days to prepare, basically. Three, three and a half days to prepare for that Packers game. So they didn't really have a lot of time to create a plan B. They just had to make sure plan A was good and it wasn't. But you've always got to have that plan B, plan C, plan D, and you can just never stick to the game plan. If that's your mindset, you know, yeah, even though they're kind of, you know, I wouldn't say they're smoking us, like we're holding up the fort-ish here. I mean, a lot of 27 points, that's not horrible still. I mean, it's not great either. You got to switch up the game plan. You, your mentality can never be just got to stick to the game plan. My prediction was the Eagles in this one. My predictions were horrible week one. They got a little better week two. Week three last week, I think I missed three predictions. I was pretty good last week. This week, I'm, I'm starting to get it. I told you the week, the first week's always the hardest to predict. For fantasy, it was a 
tough fantasy week for me. I mean, I scored like 130 points. My opponent scored 164. I was actually Mr. Sideline. I just wanted to say the tip off there. But the Eagles needed this game more than the Packers. I thought it was still an important game for the Packers. Like, if you can go 4-0, that's important. I still think they have something to prove, and they haven't locked up a playoff spot. They're in a tough division. But that was a must-win game for the Eagles. The Eagles need that game more than the Packers. Thursday night football on the road against a tough Packers team. Win that game. Get yourselves back to 2-2. Two and two. You've got a tough schedule coming up. Give your team a little bit of confidence. Go into this 10-day you know, break 2-2 two and two, rather than stressing at 1-3. and three. I know they made that comeback last season, but that was thanks to Nick Foles. Nick Foles, you know, once Carson Wentz went down, he kind of brought them back up. But... I mean, that was a big uh, win for the Eagles, but both teams have stuff they need to clean up. I thought both teams played pretty well offensively. Both teams need to clean some things up defensively and offensively, like the Packers' run game. So that is my analysis. That's my breakdown on last night's Thursday night football game. So now we are going to kick off my NBA Top 100 players list, so let's get to that. Okay, so Sports Illustrated comes out with its NBA Top 100 players list. Probably a week or two ago, probably around two weeks ago, and I looked at it disgruntled by some of their choices. Now, overall, as a list, it's not horrible. There were some horrible, like, very bad rankings. For example, Zach Levine at nine, uh, 90, Alf Horford at, what, like, 18? I think, I, I don't know all of them off the top of my head, but... Oh, uh, I think Pascal Siakam was a top 25 player, which I think is bad. Chris Paul, 21, I think. Yeah, Chris Paul was at 21. Ooh, like, I'm just trying to find a few more. I think Rudy Gobert is at, like, 14. So you get the point. Giannis was at one. I wouldn't say Giannis at one is absurd. But i just say, like, yeah, he's just not there yet. You know what I'm saying? But my NBA top 100 players, those first the criteria, there's always rules with this, right? Rules, rules, rules. I'll go over them quick. First of all, no rookies. I'm not doing rookies. You know, it's it's weird. It's tough. It's just uncomfortable ranking rookies because you haven't seen them play yet in the NBA. Second of all, KD and Clay will be, players like KD and Clay will be added on this list. John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins won't. Yeah, you're probably saying, why are you picking and choosing? Kevin and Durant and Klay Thompson really only miss short amount of time, short amount of time, right? And in that short amount of time they missed, we know what they like. Klay Thompson missed the half, so I know what I'm getting out of Klay Thompson, and I don't want to push the injury against him too much with KD. I know what I'm getting with KD, right? Tamarcus Cousins and John Wall have just been in and out, in and out. I don't really know what I'm getting from them. They've had multiple injuries, just bouncing around, like DeMarcus Cousins bouncing around the league. I just, too much of a headache to rank them. KD and Clay was a little easier. So to kick off my list, at number 100, I've got Lonzo Ball. Now, some people have him as a higher honorable mention. Some people have him in the low 80s. I put him at 100 because Lonzo Ball this season, I think, will have somewhat of a breakout season. I think in New Orleans, he's going to have a much better season. I think this is a year where he starts he's starting to really gain some of that freedom, some of that maturity. He steps away from the big baller brand. He's now in a New Orleans system where he doesn't have Rajon Rondo and LeBron James. He kind of he has more control. Now, I think Drew Holiday will take over a little bit, but Lonzo Ball is going to be able to run that offense. He's going to be able to be a great playmaker, and I think he's going to score a few more points. He's going to continue to develop. His scoring is going to get a little better. I think also just the fact that he has less scores, it's going to give him more of a chance to score. Maybe he can work on a shot a little bit. And he's a great defender. He's a great defensive playmaking guard, but he has to improve his scoring, and I think he will a little bit. He's going to be a great playmaker for this team. Uh, I hope J.J. Redick starts just to aid them with a little bit of shooting because I think you need to surround Lonzo with a little bit of shooting there. But I think Lonzo Ball is going to have a good season. I think Lonzo Ball will be higher than 100 by the end of this year. But I didn't want to overrate him too much, so I stuck him there at number 100. Whoa. I'm reading my list right now, right? And I realize I may have left someone off. So this is just going to happen. So I haven't finished this list. I'm at 78 right now. I'm deciding who 77 is going to be. I'm only doing up to 81 today because I told myself, if I tell myself I have to finish this list before I start it, 
I'm not going to be able to start this list for a while, right? So I'm just going to kind of do it in chunks as I go. But Fred Van Fleet. I think I might have left him off here. Actually, I think I had him at like a... You know what? He's a higher honorable mention. I think he's being a bit overrated. Okay. Fred Van Fleet is off this list. At first, I thought I meant to put him on here. My bad. I'll try not to stop instead of like that. Number 99, a controversial figure, Gordon Hayward. Some people think... 50s, like, yeah, he's hurt, but weird situation last year. He'll bounce back. Some people, not even on their list. Very controversial figure. I'll stick him at 99. Gordon Hayward did not have a very good season last year. And he was probably not even a top 100 player. But I do think Gordon Hayward this season will be a little better. I do think overall the system will be a little more based around him. I think that's going to lead to a few more touches for Gordon Hayward. I think he's going to start to ease back from his injury a little more, but at the same time, I think it'll be a little better, but I can't guarantee a whole lot better. I think it'll at least be a little better, but I can't guarantee a whole lot better if you want the complete and honest truth here. I just, I'm a little uneasy on Gordon Hayward, but I'll, I'll stick him at 99. He's a tough read. He may be off this list by a mile by the end of the season. He may be back up in the forties by the end of the season. I don't, I don't know. Maybe in the thirties. I can't, I can't say really any higher than that if you want the truth, though. Then at 98, I've got Joe Harris. Now, a few people put him a, Joe Harris a little higher. Joe Harris deserves to be on this list. I can't even say, you know, lowest is probably 99. But the reason I suck him at 98 was because other than shooting, I haven't seen a lot from Joe Harris, really, at all. Joe Harris, I love Joe Harris. He's a great player. He, he shot 48% last season. That's great. My problem is with Joe Harris is people overrate him just a little, like, I don't even want to say he's overrated, but I just say, like, high 90s, low 80s is too high for Joe Harris. If you want to say he's worthy of 94 on this list or 93, I'm totally fine with that. It get, It's just really hard to rank. Like, there's not much of a difference between him and the next guy on this list. There isn't even much of a difference between him and number 90 or 91. Like, it's tough. It's just, it's, it's really just take a grain, like grains of salt. It's just a game of inches, centimeters when it comes to ranking these players. But I think Joe Harris last season, he shot 48%. That's hard to, you know, repeat and do, right? It's hard to shoot just under 48% and then do it again the next season. Second of all, more pressure this season, right? Joe Harris last season playing on a Nets team that had nothing to lose, no pressure, this season, there's pressure. They're no title contender, but he's got Kyrie Irving. KD's going to come back. There's some expectations labeled on this team. Last season, there wasn't. There's some expectations for this team. There's going to be more pressure on him to shoot that ball that well. I'm not sure he can repeat it. I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying that's a tough thing to do. He's no Steph Curry. He's a good shooter, but great shooter. Great shooter. And I, I think Steph Curry, you know, is just the best shooter of all time. But Joe Harris, I just think all he does is shoot. And I expect that number to just go down a little bit this season. But if you want to say he's 94, 95, be my guest. That's totally fine. Even 93, that's fine. Then at number 97, I've got his teammate, DeAndre Jordan. Jordan is still one of the best rebounders in the game. He's still, you know, he's still aging, but he's still got some of that athleticism, some of that, you know, ability to really slam the ball hard home. And he's still got solid defensive ability. Overall, just got kind of well-rounded, stable center that can really only play in the paint. He's no one that can stretch the floor. He can't shoot for his life. One of the worst shooters in the league, but the guy can rebound. He's still one of the best rebounders in the league. He's still very athletic and can finish at the rack and draw some fouls and really get physical down there. And he's still a solid defender. He's aging. I wouldn't be too surprised at all if he's off this list. In a year, in two years, he'll definitely be off this list, but he may hang on for one more season. I don't know, but he's starting to really uh, just find it. You know, I remember I saw uh, a, what's it called, sports, uh, Bleacher Report's top 25 players this this year. DeAndre Jordan was a top 25 player, which is absurd, obviously. But I'd say 97, anywhere between debatably honorable mention. That's very debatable. But I'd say anywhere between, like, 99 to 93. Like, kind of like Joe Harris. They're they're very close. Then on 96, I've got Bam Adebayo. I think Adebayo, 
is, I wouldn't say is easily going to climb this list, but could very easily climb this list. He's no longer playing beside, uh, behind Hassan Whiteside. Uh, this just kind of has the feels of a breakout year. No more Hassan Whiteside. Uh, Bam Adebayo has the keys to being this team's starting center. There's no really, there's no real competition. Myers Leonard, I'd say he's more of a power forward. He's not someone that you're going to stick at center. Kelly Olynyk's not someone I want to stick at center either. There's two stretch, stretch bigs. I know Brooke Lopez, but at least Lopez can bring some defense. Sorry, I just don't think Olynyk or Leonard bring that. So not Kawhi Leonard, Myers Leonard. Uh, but Bam Adebayo, I just think he's going to have a good year this year. I think he's going to climb this list. No more Hassan Whiteside. I think this is the year where he really uh, showcases his talent. Obviously, he's developing. So kind of like Lonzo Ball, he's kind of younger. This could be his year where he really shows that leap. Then I move over to 95, Terrence Ross. Some people may say it's a little too high for Terrence Ross. He's more of an honorable mentioner in 99-98. Personally, I just really like Terrence Ross, so this is just a little bit of bias. Uh, between him and Joe Harris, it's not it's pretty close. But when it comes to Terrence Ross, Terrence Ross can't shoot the ball as well as Joe Harris. Terrence Ross is a solid shooter, but he doesn't uh, shoot as well as Joe Harris. But the difference for me is the fact that Terrence Ross shoots, a, shoots worse than Joe Harris, but he's much more athletic and he can drive to the hoop and score some points, and he's a solid defender as well. So he brings more. He brings more to the table. Like Joe Harris just brings you great shooting. Terrence Ross brings you solid shooting, along with good athleticism, solid finishing at the rack, and good, good solid defense. Personally, I take Terrence Ross over Joe Harris. Take that with the grain of salt, though. It's very, very close. Then at number four, 94, I've got Jared Allen. I feel like I've been talking about the Nets this whole time. We've got through six players. Three of them are strictly Nets players. Between him... DeAndre Jordan and Joe Harris, it is so close for who the third best player on this team is. Actually, no. For who the fifth best player on this team is. I have two more Nets players that are going to be higher than this. Which is crazy. I mean, to think that between Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan, or Jared Allen, they are, what, the sixth best player on the team? Which means the Nets are going to have, I think, seventh. Nets are going to have seven players on this list. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, and Kyrie and KD are going to be a little higher on this list. But Jared Allen, to me, he's just a rim-running center that doesn't get enough attention. Uh, this guy is just an incredible rim protector, up and coming. Still already one of the best rim protectors in the league. He's just bound to get even better. Uh, he's not great offensively, but he still can give you a little bit of scoring. He's a solid rebounder as well. His main attribute, rim protector protector, but he can also be a rim-running center as well. Uh, the guy can dunk the ball off alley-oops. He still can score a little bit off the block. Doesn't have a ton of post moves. Mostly scores off playmakers, like playmaking from his guards and other players. But the guy also brings solid rebounding as well. I think Jared Allen is getting, you know, starting to get better too. So he'll never, you know, probably won't ever be an all-star. Maybe once or twice. Maybe one of those guys that sneaks in once or twice. But He's bound to go up this list. Uh, hopefully, he doesn't get hurt. But if he doesn't get hurt, he'll, he'll be up on this list for sure. Got, along with guys like Lonzo Ball, Bam Adebayo. You get the point. 93, I've got Jeff Teague. Personally, Teague, you know, this is a guy who with the Hawks was pretty good. And he's kind of just kind of fell off the map in a way. He's an underrated player. Uh, he brings great playmaker. Great, great playmaker. Uh, he's got skills, just handling, like ball handling, playmaking, you name it. He can give you, uh, you know, solid play in those categories. And he's an and defender and a scorer. Overall, mostly just a good ball handling, playmaking, offense running point guard. Doesn't score much, doesn't give you a great defense, but. He gets the job done. I still think he deserves a top 100 spot on this list. Then at 92, I've got DeJounte Murray. Uh, Murray's one of those guys who was a bit, who should be a little harder to rank, but this guy was all defensive, what, first team before he got hurt? Yeah, he's coming off a big injury, and he's a guy that relies on more athleticism than he does skill, which is scary. You know, when you look at a lot of these players, like Clay Thompson, we don't worry about a ton on his injury because he just relies on skill rather than athleticism. But Jante Murray, 
I mean, he's coming off a huge ACL injury. He relies on athleticism. That could hurt him. A lot of people love DeJounte Murray, though. I think he will pan out to be a very good player. Maybe gets off to a bit of a slow start, but that's a guy that Greg Popovich really likes. Uh, he's a great, great defender. One of the better defenders in the NBA. He just needs to improve his offensive skills. Scoring, shooting, even playmaking. He just needs to improve all of those things. Offensive skills are where DeJounte Murray needs to improve. Listen, if Murray wants to come into the season and has just told us, listen, you know, due to my, you know, on my recovery, yes, I've tried to get a little better on offense, but I've really just tried to get back to where I was at. You know, athletically, defensively, once I get back to full strength and once I kind of pick up where I left off and start building those offensive skills, that's totally fine. He's coming off a very big injury. He's a young player. If he wants to, he'll always be known for his defense, but if he wants to try to right now get that athleticism back, get that confidence back, get those defensive abilities back, eh, I'm not saying he lost them, but try to build up what he had before and then build upon that offensively, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, but we'll see what happens. I think he's going to have a good season. I could potentially see him sliding off this list or going at the very end by the end of the year if the injury really affects him. But at one point, at some point in his career, I doubt that'll happen, by the way. I think he will be at least a little higher on this list by the end of next season, of uh, this season. But DeJounte Murray, a lot of people love him. I like him. I wouldn't say I love him, but I do think this guy's got a lot of potential for a breakout season. Then number 91, I've got Patrick Beverly. Uh, Beverly's in an interesting situation this year where he may have to run the point for the Los Angeles Clippers, which isn't a good thing at all. Patrick Beverly brings no offensive game whatsoever. This guy... He can't shoot. He can't score. He's not very good at running an offense or seeing plays be made. He's a pretty much a liability offensively. But defensively, he's one of the best in the game. He's a trash talking machine. This guy can get your team, you know, he can get the, in the other team's head. He can get your team really pumped up. And he's kind of a guy that really helps you produce those regular season wins because he's always giving 110%. Patrick Beverly is a guy that you may not like, but you've got to respect. There's no doubt about that. The way that guy just fights every night, he's a scrappy player. Talent-wise, he's not top 100, but he's got the athleticism, he's got the fire, he's got the effort, and he makes himself a great defender, a great team player. You, got, you may not like Patrick Beverly, but you've got to respect him. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how he molds into that uh, starting point guard role for the contending Los Angeles Clippers. Then I move over to the uh, end of the 90s here. Number 90, I've got Danny Green. I do think people, I don't even want to say overrate Danny Green, but they do in a little bit. I think when I look at Danny Green, yes, great defender. He's a great 3 and D wing. He's one of the best 3 and D role-playing wings. The guy can shoot the three ball. He's a bit inconsistent, I will say, though. Danny Green, he's a champion. He needs to be a little more consistent with this three ball. Nonetheless, he's still a good shooter overall. And his defense overall, he's getting older. So his defense isn't going to be as good as it was back when he was with the Spurs. But he's still a solid defender. And overall, he's a great 3 and D wing. Role-playing 3 and D wing that doesn't demand the ball. I think he could potentially slide down on this list as he starts to get a little bit older. But Danny Green's definitely worthy of a top 100 spot. Now, with this new start with the Los Angeles Lakers, it'll be interesting to see how he fits there. I don't think it'll be that interesting. I think when you're a 3 and D wing, going to a team that needs 3 and D wings that could really use one, you'll be just fine. Danny Green isn't someone who's really, really a bad fit anywhere. Then I move over to number 89. I got Derek White. White had a great playoff run. This guy showed he's not afraid of the big moment. Uh, I think he... He isn't talked about a lot, but people really liked his playoff performance. Maybe a few a little too much. But Derek White was great. I mean, this is a guy who is just, he reeks of a San Antonio spur. That's not a bad thing. But again, a late first round, I mean, what was he? Late first round pick, I think he's 29th overall pick. Out of a small college wasn't scouted by many. I mean, many didn't even think he'd go in the first round. Greg Popovich saw him, picked him up, and he's turned him into just like a good team player, like a guy who doesn't have all the skills in the book. But, I mean, just kind of came out of nowhere, and he's been a solid player, just reeks of a spur, which isn't a bad thing at all. 
I don't really know how to read Derek White. I don't know as much about him as I do a lot of these other players, if you want the honest truth. But he can give you solid scoring. He's okay defensively. Overall, I mean, you saw that dunk he had against the Nuggets. He's not always like that. But Derek White, I think he's going to build off what he did last season. I think when you look at it, they're going to try to develop some of these young players. DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are starting to go on the decline. You've got some of these younger guys. He's going to have to really fight, too, because they've got a lot of guards. DeJounte Murray's going to be back. They've still got Bryn Forbes. You've got you know yourself. DeMar DeRozan is a shooting guard slash small forward, so they've got guys. And it'll be interesting to see how he battles. Will he get the starting role? Uh, that's going to be all interesting to see. But I think Derek White is going to be on the top 100 by the end of this year. He's a great young player. And I think he, again, reeks of a spur. And that's not a bad thing at all. Then I move over to number 88. I've got Alforak Aminu, uh, recently signed by the Orlando Magic. Spent most of his career so far with the Trailblazers. Aminu's a solid player. He doesn't bring a whole lot. He's underrated. Not many people really know him, but he's he's a top under player, all right. He's not great offensively, but he's a very good defender. Uh, very, very good defender. I wouldn't say like elite defender, but he's a good defender. That's mostly his main attribute. He can give you some solid rebounding. I mean, he doesn't score a whole lot and doesn't have a ton of post moves, but he's starting to become really a veteran in this league. He's a good defender. I don't know if the Magic really need another forward, you know, another power forward slash center. I think they should have spent some of that money on a guard, if you want the complete and honest truth, but Alforak Aminu should still be a solid pickup for them. Give them some defense, and just give them some uh, you know, leadership. Not a very well-known guy, but overall, I think Alforak Aminu definitely deserves a spot on this top 100 players list. And this is one that I don't think it's going to trigger anyone, but it's going to get some NBA fans that really know their stuff mad. Derek Favors at number 87. This is one of those guys who's not talked about a lot, but is overrated. People think he's like a top 60 player. He's not. He really isn't. I mean, he can. he's a solid rebounder still. He can give you a little scoring on the block. He can give you a little defense on the block. But he's starting to get up there in age. I think he's one of those guys not talked about, but he's still overrated. Overall, I think he's 87. I can't put him any lower than 87, if you want the complete and honest truth. There's a debate that he's in the 70s. No higher than the 70s, though. Don't I'm not overrating Derek Favors. I'm underrating Derek Favors to most of you, it seems like. But in my opinion, he's just not talked about a lot. But for the people that do talk about him and discuss him and put on these top 100 players list, I mean, the 60s. Way too high. Then I go over to 86. I got Ricky Rubio, recently acquired by the Phoenix Suns. I think he is their X factor this season. I really do. And Ricky Rubio is that type of guy that can really run an offense. He's got. He's kind of. I wouldn't say he's like Lonzo Ball. They've got different play styles, but they they're similar when you look at it. Like, yeah, he's a you know he's, he's a point guard who can run an offense, really give you some playmaking and. Some solid defense, except I'd say Lonzo Ball's a little better at defense, and Ricky Rubio's a bit better of a shooter and overall scorer. Mostly just the shooting part. Like, Ricky Rubio's someone who's starting to work on his three-point shot. He's no spectacular three-point shooter. He's at best like average. But he's worked on it, and he can space the floor a little better and shoot the three-ball better than uh, what's-his-face can, Lonzo Ball. Then I move over to number 85. I've got Thaddeus Young. Some people put him uh, high 80s, some low 80s, some even in the 70s. Some, For some, he's barely a top 100 player. Thaddeus Young is a guy who always going at it. Like Patrick Beverly gives 110%, so does this guy. This guy, he's always hustling. He's a great defender. He's someone who, he's not great offensively. He brings a little playmaking at the power forward position. Overall, he is just a guy who can kind of just do a little bit of everything. Mostly a good defender. Good underrated team player that's always giving 110%. Then at number 84, I've got Jonas Valanciunas. You know I love Jonas Valanciunas. And he's a great fit with the Grizzlies. I thought when I looked at the Raptors, I saw a lot of potential, but I didn't see the fit. Goes to the Grizzlies, he's been great. I think he's a guy who can really be an underrated piece for their future. I think, yes, 
I, I think, but I know Jonas Valanciunas is in his prime probably right now. So he's not a young player, but he could be someone who helps him out for the next few years, maybe the next three to five years, and kind of gives him solid play. I don't think he's going to be their next Mark Gasol, but I think he's going to be a solid player for them, especially offensively. And I think he's an underrated player, and most people have him right there, 87 to 84 or 83. Like Most people don't disagree on where Jonas Valanciunas should be ranked. Then at number 82, I mean 83, I've got Marcus Smart. I kind of want to put Valanciunas over Smart, but I put Marcus Smart at 83. Now, when it comes to him and Patrick Beverly, you know, you're saying, what's the big difference here? Like, when it comes to Marcus Smart and Patrick Beverly, what's the difference? Like, you got Marcus Smart at 83, you've got Patrick Beverly at 91. Now, when I look at it, I say, well, here, here's where I kind of come from. Smart is a little bit better defender than Patrick Beverly, in my opinion. Just a little. I think, especially with Beverly getting a little older, Smart kind of aging towards, not aging, but getting towards his prime. Smart was on a higher all-defensive team last year, which I don't think tells the whole story. They messed a little bit of that up. But in my opinion, Smart gives you a little more offensively as well. Right, and I think he's in a more comfortable position. I feel more comfortable with Marcus Smart at shooting guard than I do with Patrick Beverly at point guard. I think Marcus Smart's a little better offensively, a little more comfortable in his role offensively, and defensively debatably better. But I think that offensive piece gives him the edge. And then at number eighty-two, we've got DeAndre Ayton. Some people don't even have him on their list, which is horrendous. I love DeAndre Ayton. Some people have got him in the low on their list, which is understandable. But I think DeAndre Ayton's going to have a great year. I think he's going to put up 20-10 and 10 this season, or at least 19-10. and 10. I think he's going to have a great year. I think he's going to get the ball more. He needs to improve his defense, though. He's a good rebounder. He's a great scorer. He needs to improve defensively on the block. He's a liability there. They don't have much defensive to help him out either, and it kind of they kind of expose him because of that because he doesn't have that power forward to really help him out there either. DeAndre Ayton, I just love this guy. And you know who else I like? 81, to wrap up our list, or first now, Jaron Jackson Jr. I love both Ayton and Jaron Jackson Jr. So hard to rate. rate. It was literally a grain of salt separating these two. Ayton had the slightly better year last year, but Jaron Jackson Jr., both of them were underrated. I'd say Jaron Jackson Jr. was a little more underrated, and he was banged up. So, yes, the injury, you know, between Ayton and Jaron Jackson Jr., take your pick. Honestly, take your pick. I'll go with Jaron Jackson Jr. This is a guy who can just give you all, give it all, give you it all, excuse me. I mean, this guy can shoot. He can score on the block. This guy can rebound. He's a great, amazing defender. I'd say it's his main attribute. He's got a lot of length, a lot of athleticism. He can just do it all, and he does a little more than the average big man does. And this guy's just a young stud. I think he's going to be a great fit with John Morant. I said that before the draft. Then these guys were bonding. I was just like, yeah, I'm so confident in this. I know it's going to work. So I love what I see there. So that is going to wrap up my list for today. It's going to wrap up today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Feel free to call in on the Anchor mobile app. Also, go follow my Instagram at AfterBuzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces. Again, that's at AfterBuzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you guys next time.